You are listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe. Hello, I'm Eric Lawler. Welcome to episode 32 of House of Football with Sports Joe. Delighted to have in studio podcast regulars Alan Colley and Emma Call. Lads, thanks for joining us again. We've cut straight to it. It was another grim day for Manchester United in the Premier League, the Manchester Derby. Uh, I would I would say City weren't even at their very best, but easily dismantled Manchester United 3-0. It was as bruising a home defeat as you could wish for. Um, I thought Manchester United started off quite well in the first 20 minutes. When I say quite well, they weren't rubbish. Um, that's that's the standard I'm looking at United <laughs> these days. They, they they you know they they caught City high up the pitch a couple of times, had a couple of breaks that maybe they could have done better with. But ultimately, once City got that goal. It was uh, there was only going to be one winner, and uh, yeah, uh, a lot of um, uh, there's been a lot of fallout over the over the weekend because of your your impressions of the match itself, Al, and the and, and the game. Yeah, kind of along the same lines as as how you've summed it up there, Eric. To be honest with you, a bruising defeat, but not one that was surprising at all. And I'm not sure why people are a bit surprised by it. To be honest, when you think of the form lines going into the game. United, obviously, that's their fifth defeat in 10 now. But if you actually just take the games in isolation, I haven't seen them play well in any game. They scraped ahead of the, the win against Brentford in the 91st and 97th minute or whatever the late goals were. They scraped a win against Sheffield United. Dallow with the, with the, with the goal, which was a great goal. Uh, one all Sheffield United arguably one of the worst teams we would ever see in the Premier League at the moment. Um, and then the Copenhagen game where they made heavy weather of that and obviously got out of jail with the late the late banana save. So they were the most recent three games leading into the game. So if you're looking at farm lines, there was nothing that was suggesting to me, oh, they're playing Man City now. This this could be really kind of we can be really hopeful here and this'll this'll be a good day for Man United. So the way the game played out, as you say, there was a bit of um I suppose an injection of life into them at the start being a derby and all that but once they got the first goal Man City there was no way back and then once they took control of the game kept the ball managed the situation they were always creating chances um, without ever being at their best or their clinical best and yeah it was so one-sided but but not one bit surprising for me Eric and I've only pointed out those recent three games I could go back through all the games from day one with Wolves when Wolves pa- passed them off the pitch and it's been such a struggle for Man United and they are so far off the pace. And I'm not talking about being off Man City and Arsenal's pace. They're off Aston Villas, oh, yeah. uh, Brighton, Spurs, all teams like that who you would think they would be ahead of and closing down the gap on Man City and Arsenal. They're a million miles off Man City and Arsenal. They're 150 miles off the other team. So it's, and then I heard comments yesterday from Ten Hag saying we're on the up. And it gets to the point where, as I said many times before, and I've been consistent about this, it's 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 difficult to pinpoint the blame, I think, on just him and the yeah. manager. There's so many contributing factors. But we are getting to the stage now where I think you do have to start asking questions of him, to be fair. And that's not to say you're asking questions as in, oh, sack him. I'm not suggesting that at all, and I wouldn't do that. But I think in terms of some of the decisions and where they are right now, the fact that he's 18 months in the building and some of the signings that he's made, I would be highly critical of them because they're his boys... Mm-hmm. he's brought in Anthony he's brought in Anana he's brought in the lads from the Dutch division that we're obviously he, he's known and when you bring in your own players and they're not performing for you that's exactly when you start getting questions asked so I would definitely be critical of him in that regard but there just seems to be so many problems that I just don't know where you start with them and uh, you, 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 we were having a chat before the, the podcast and um, you were highlighting um, some of the goals that Manchester United conceded and I suppose ultimately the the book stops with Ten Hag with the with the way they defend the way they set themselves up and 
they just even talk to us through some of them goals and what you saw yeah I mean like I feel sorry for Ten Hag in one way because the team is terrible but it's also a team that has plenty of his players in it um, I mean like if you, the combined 11s are generally nonsense but if you look at the starting 11s from yesterday there's not a single United player that would get on the city bench let alone get into the starting, uh, starting city team but in terms of the, the players themselves they need to take some responsibility for this because it's just ineptitude and basics of football that they got wrong I put a tweet out and I was showing you if you look at the second city goal the Haaland one where he goes into the back post there's three phases of play there there's a point where Grealish gets the ball out in the wing there are six United players in between the goal and uh, the ball and one city player and that's Haaland he makes a straight run directly through the middle of all those six players because every one of them for the entirety of the phase of play until the ball is in the back of the net are looking at the ball. Or ball watching. They're the whole ball lot. watching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You would give out to a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old for doing what those United players were doing. And then the third goal, it's a shot from Rodri. And if you look at the, the screen grab of the goal, Haaland is there pouncing, Phil Foden is there pouncing. And until the point where... So Rodri takes a shot, uh, Onana saves it, he p- pounds it out. Haaland is already making his sprint before any United player has reacted. And until Haaland gets the ball, not one of the four United players have made a sprint back. Mm. Once he gets the ball, they sprint back. And it's too late because he's already crossed it to Foden to tap it in. Harry Maguire stopped. He didn't even make the run. So you can say it's down to the Glazers. You can say it's down to the way the club's being run. You can say it's down to the way that Eric Den Hag set up the team. But it also comes down to the players mm-hmm. who are just not doing the basics of the game. And like Roy Keane has constantly said about this group of players, it's still the same group of players that were there under Ollie. It's still the same group of players that are under Ragnick. Still most of the players that were still under there under Mourinho. They don't change their stripes. They, they haven't changed their stripes. And they're doing the exact same now to Ten Hag that they did to the previous managers. Just throwing them under the bus by not doing the basics of the game. And that's that's worrying, isn't it? Again, like, you know, you know the... the the short-term option is, oh, quick, get rid of the manager, bring a new manager in. You bring him a new manager in, and there might be a little bump for a few weeks. But then we're just, like, if these yeah. players See, haven't changed the stripes, mm-hmm. it's just going to go the same way again. Yeah, and that's, I suppose, was the phrase, Gary Neville, rinse and repeat. We've seen this now for the last number of years with the different managers changing. And the main problem there, if you do that, Eric, is you're still left with the same players. You can yeah. change the manager, but it's the same group of players the point end is making. And the problem with that also is, each manager that has been there over that period of time has brought in maybe four or five of players they've seen as. So how many has Ten Hag brought in? So if a new manager was to come in and it's opinion-based to always football and they'll want their own lads, he look at maybe five or six of Ten Hag lads and says, well, we don't want you, but the club is still left with them. Yeah. So that it's, it's, it's that crossover of yeah. uh, players that one manager wants, the next manager comes in, he doesn't want. Mm-hmm. And you still have the, the shelves stocked with the players. I- one of the one of the main things as well I'd be critical of Ten Hag for the length of time that it's been there is and I think Jamie Carragher made this point but I was saying it last week even I don't know what you're going to get with Man United in terms of how they're playing are they a possession based team are they a counter attacking team are they um, do we sit in and just try and hit teams on the break you just don't know what you're getting with them in terms of an identity building up from the back all the teams you see doing it now in terms of the, the phase of play how to build up from the keeper through the thirds on up kind of through the phases you just don't see it with them and, and it's always a struggle and everything's reactive the goal goal down oh we'll, we'll change it we'll, we'll chase the game and we'll bring on two forwards we'll, every, there never seems to be well this is what we're going to do and we're going to impose ourselves on you 
and you react to that they're always reacting off what the opposition mm. does in terms of going to goal down or however way to play and we have to maybe, maybe make a tweak so that's on the manager 100% that's on the manager and when you think of the impact the likes of a Pasta Coglu was made overnight at Spurs Emery he's there 18 months yeah. and you still don't know he brings in Mount and again you can only kind of the, the, the system as I always say will always be dictated by the personnel that you have so in your recruitment then you're, you're pinpointing fellas that you want to bring in that are able to do the job that you want in terms of maybe if it's a high press or possession based or whatever like I look at some of the signings and I just don't know where to fit in and all. Yeah, you know it's. But even outside of the tactics, because I do think you're you're right about Ten Hag. Like he's made some really questionable decisions. Like just starting Johnny Evans and saying it was a tactical tactical decision. If Johnny Evans wasn't good enough when he was at the club first, he's not good enough now. You mm. know, further down the line. But if you look at the United squad and the build up of it, not talent wise, just personality wise, how many of those players would get into a Klopp, a Pep, or even a Pasta Coglu team? based on their personality and their attitude. Mm. Very few, because they do not suffer bullshitters, they don't suffer arseholes, and there's a hell of a lot of them in the United team as well. Like, like if you look at Anthony's behaviour, kicking away at Doku, but, but he's that, petulant, but, and he's frustrated. But he's the manager signing. Uh, no, I, I, I agree with it. Him. Yeah, I, no, I, I never would have had him in a million years anyway. But he's brought him in, and this is, what he's, it, this is how he's repaying. Yeah, I agree with that, and it's... I question Ten Hag's ability to pinpoint personalities, yeah. not just talent-wise, personalities in the team, because there's so many players in that United team that you would just you toss out the door straight well, away. Well, the two that the two that stand out a mile, and you've just brought up one of them there, right? So Anthony hasn't turned into this kind of person overnight since he's joined Man United. He was obviously this person playing for Ajax as well. So the first thing you do when you're signing a player, obviously ability-wise, you look at them, but their character and personality, mm. as Enda says, and you don't bring shitheads into a club that might spoil kind of the, the atmosphere. It only takes one to kind of to bring the whole thing down. The other one then, and he's backed him to the hilt, is the captain. And we heard the comments again at the weekend. We said it so many times, Fernandez. You'll rave about him. I said to you, he's great against Nottingham Forest. Give me, a, show me him against the big boys. Where was he Sunday? Yeah, he was. He was. He was. And uh, he's been poor for so long, Eric. Oh, come here. I, look, now, not in his ability wise, we know he's a player, but in terms of maybe just this discussion based on him being the captain, and that's what the criticism came on Sunday. He, like. He, he no, he is. He's he's way out of form, and a lot of United players are way out of form, like Rashford as well. Like there's so many players not playing up to their. Ability. Um, Rio Ferdinand uh, commented on Roy's uh, comments about Bruno being stripped of the captaincy. He says, there's so much drama going on at the club. Do they need another drama now mm. where they pull the captaincy off Bruno? And I kind of understood where Ferdinand came with that mm. comment. So I'm not sure removing Bruno as the captain is going to solve anything. Like, who no. else do you give it to? But, but, the starters. but that's the thing. But I would have, ne- and that comes back to the manager, I would have never given it to him in the first place. Right. And he should have known this. Surely to God, he should have known this. But maybe when he came in, I suppose, Bruno did do well in terms of the goals last year. And he was a bit of a talisman because he did pop up with a lot of goals. And maybe he felt, and sometimes this can happen, that you feel you give him that responsibility, mm. it makes him grow 10 feet taller and, and he'll carry the rest with him because arguably, talent-wise, he's their best player. But... It's been an absolute disaster in terms of him because see the throwing the hands, the moaning, yeah. the whinging, the crying. Like, it's desperate stuff. Yeah. Well, Arsene Wenger famously did that with Robin Van Persie. Like, people f- sometimes forget that Van Persie was a hothead mm. when he first arrived at Arsenal and it was very surprising that he, he got the captaincy. Head, he, was, he, was, he was nuts. Yeah. And then when he got the captaincy, he did grow into it and, and eventually became the player that he was. But with Bruno, there's two p- parts of me that are kind of torn on him because I'd love to see him in a city 
or a, a Liverpool side where he's in a really good side and then see his personality. And I know you usually see the the worst of people when things are going mm. badly and that's when you want a captain to be strong and personality-wise. Uh, but yeah, he, it was, yesterday was petulant as well. Like attitude-wise, would he get into a, a top side? Probably not if he's no. acting the same way. So no. again, like this is what I, I worry about. Alex Ferguson had a really good eye for personalities. And it just seems well, like he just wouldn't tolerate it. Like, he know, wouldn't tolerate it, and, and that's and that's that's what it boils down to. You know, the so, top managers so, don't. No, and that's the thing. So is that on the manager again? Is Ten Hag weak there because he tolerates it? But then he might argue, well, I'm tolerating it because I, if I don't play him, what else do I have? So it's 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 this vicious circle, Eric. Like yeah. I says to you, mum, to go there about you can't. It's so hard to pinpoint one problem. Because there's problems everywhere. And when you're trying to fix this problem, by fixing it, you're creating another yeah, problem. It's, 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 it's just constant fire Isn't it very difficult? Like yeah. you mentioned there about like your answer to it, and it was a good good point in that you take the, the captaincy of him and you're thinking, oh, that's that's fixed now. But it creates, a, he's he's sulking. Then yeah, you have to yeah. sort him out. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. It, so it's, it's so many problems. There's so many problems. It's just... And that's where I have sympathy with Ten Hag because I could only imagine he must be going in saying, where do I even start here with this crowd? You know, but then he has to be answerable for some of the calls in terms of the football decisions as well. I do question some of his selections and substitutions. I think the uh, there was a chorus of boos there on Sunday of when Highland. he took up Hoyland, who I think is probably our only player worth talking about at the moment. I think he's he causes defence's problems. I think his attitude is really good. Um if he had a little bit more street smarts about him, I think he could have gone down when uh, uh, Diaz but, was running with him yeah. when he was through on goal. There was a little clip there. But I'd argue if he was the top striker that they should have got, he would have scored there. That's a chance. It's a and chance, but he, he is, he is but impeded he goes, a little and he but, loses balance a little but once bit. once he goes across Diaz yeah. there, and the chance is nearly gone. There's a clip, but I'd say what I'm saying, if he had street smarts, he felt that clip, he's down and Diaz could be getting a red card. Um, yeah, and and this goes back to my point about the recruitment with him. And I know what you're saying, like as in he's been fine, he's done well, he looks like somebody who's hungry. Yeah, yeah, good attitude, all those attributes, which is what you want. But if you're Man United and you're spending 70, 80 million, you're, you're buying ready made that's going to score 20 goals. And the problem with them bringing in the likes of Mount, 60 million, Hoyland, 70, Harry Kane, 130. <laughs> But they, but they, but and maybe not Harry Kane, but, but but spend the money on a fella that you know, bang, guaranteed. Whereas you're bringing in Hoyland, and the 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 situation is so bad as it is, they don't have time to wait for him to be good in two years. I know, but if you think of his strategy, right? United have been hammered over the years for buying these quick fixes, these mm. ready-made, so-called ready-made superstars, Di Maria, Falco, all these players. Um, whereas Hoyland, when he was signed, a lot of the United fan base went finally a little bit of strategy gone into a signing, a player who can grow at the club and improve. We're buying him for his potential. I understand Manchester United need players to do it right now. I think Hyland has the ability to get there and become one of the best. Yeah, I'm not um, against Hyland. I think, but I just... I know what you're yeah, saying. I, yeah. I, I agree with what yeah. you're saying, but I think United have been slammed, and rightly so, for these too many quick fix signings that the, the you know, and that's why we need a sporting director in. That's why we need a director of football in just to plan, have a proper strategy in place. Um... Gary Neville uh, again blamed the Glazers and the you know I mean it's 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 and you see I don't like that narrative as well as much as I blame them as well I think it's a it's 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 a get out for all the players you know they they, they won't ah oh, you know I'm not going to do 100 percent there because the Glazers have yeah. sold the club yeah. like, like you know what I mean I the overarching problem is them I think you can't have a discussion around United without discussing the fundamental issues of the Glazers but as somebody pointed out 
the leaking roof in Old Trafford didn't cause those players yeah. to not track Haaland at the back post. Yeah. And oh, I think I one, one of the... Maybe they weren't looking at the ball, yeah. Yeah, they, were, they weren't looking at the ball, they were looking at the leak instead, yeah. But, like, that that's the thing. It is a get-out-of-jail-free uh, card for the United players. And, again, it's this whole idea of the sacking the manager as well. It's like, these players are waiting for Ten Hag to get sacked. Yeah, because uh, oh, suddenly it's not, word, it's, not, it's not their fault it's, it's Ten Hag's description fault of like basically the argument against them and we know what it is but basically he's saying if you have proper culture at a club and running the place properly you're striving for excellence and that's the way Man United should yeah. be and that's fine but I felt the, the, the bit of a rant he went on Sunday night and he's gone on it a few times now over the Glazers it's grown tiresome with me now mm. At the start, I was like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, Gary Neville, yeah, fair enough. But as you said, it's to get out of jail for the managers, to get out of jail for the players. Because ultimately, when, it, when they cross the line, they're not the reasons. And, and players really don't, like, well, in terms of the ownership, once they're getting paid and getting their money, they don't care yeah. who's owning the club. Yeah. It still comes down to the manager putting a team out, set up well, well-organised players, as Enda said, playing for a bit of personal pride. Uh, going out onto the pitch and doing well for yourself as well and they've been found wanting in so many years and for him then to just go straight back to the Glazers I just felt it's just grown a bit tiresome on me now well, Just a final point on it Jimmy Carragher brought it up Ange Postecoglou came in to Tottenham mm. Harry Kane was leaving the club mm. was a mess yeah. the director of football's in jail <laughs> and Ange Postecoglou just went in and said I'll work with what I have and he is Tottenham top of the league yeah. you can't use it as an excuse all the time you've got talent there the problem is you need to get the best out of them and, and for and for that argument sorry and for that argument of what Neville's making with the owners Ten Hag spent 400 million or yeah. something he's had money it's not like Ten Hag is sitting going yeah you're right Gary them owners they're, they're terrible they won't give me a penny whether he's, whether it's the Glazers spending the money or United spending yeah, money it's whatever. irrelevant the money is being spent yeah so, uh, so do, has to, do you give, like I, I think um, to play devil's advocate and like I, I've like famously said I said on this podcast a good few uh, in the last season I said I think Ten Hag will be the next Manchester United manager to win the Premier League because you're having a good season did last you? season yes I did right. and at least you're honest enough yeah to yeah yeah what a, what a fool I am <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, 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 um, I suppose you know they've had a lot of injuries they've had and they still have a lot of players key players out when you look at the the defence they had last year you had Dalo Wan Bissaka on the right you had Luke Shaw on the left and you had Martinez and Varane and, and like when you look at the back four on Sunday Dalo uh, Lindelof left Dalo, I don't think Dalo is good enough even if no Wan Bissaka is better than him uh, like, I stick Wan Bissaka in there ahead of him but also like Martinez is a massive loss and you know he came back but obviously came back too soon he was a little bit out of form but obviously he was carrying that injury it wasn't fully healed and I would like to see Man United give him a bit of time. Like, that's why he said, he said, we're on the up, right? Now, come on, Eric, you're clutching at straws there. But I, I think what he meant, and I think sometimes with Ten Hag and his, his English, he, 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 you know, it can, be, it can be a little bit lost in translation what he's trying to say. Tell me what he meant. I'll tell you what he meant, right? <laughs> Here's what he said. When you see the first half, it is toe to toe and just the penalty changes the game. It's not wrong there, okay? Uh, the three games before we won and the spirit is very good. So I think we are on the way up. The start was difficult, but we are on the way up. I'm sure when we have some injured players coming back, then our side will be stronger. We have to be patient. So, uh, I'll throw that out to you. <laughs> Deafening silence there. Give, give them a good uh, chance of surviving. You do? Yeah. Surviving in the Premier League, not surviving <laughs> in the <laughs> I, I, But I am in the camp. I am in the camp of... Like, you can't just keep sacking fellas 18 months in. Like, you know. So, it, like, as I said, it's it's... 
I mean, you're, you're, as we're on about statements that were made about things that might come back to bite us, I don't think this will come back to bite me. And I'm still, I'm adamant. I said this now to a couple of lads in WhatsApp group. Um, and I said this about two years ago. I said, it'll be 30 years. Man United now will go through what Liverpool have gone through. They will not win the league for about 30 years, what I said. Every year I text them saying, lads, there's another one chalked up. Yeah. I, I, because I'm as I started with, um, when, we, when we first started the chat, it's not Man City and Arsenal they're behind. They're behind Villa and Newcastle and Spurs and all these other clubs and Chelsea I think will even turn things and get maybe progressively better. Oh, I changed my expectations. I like was like, like we have to get top four. Now I'm going, we have to get mid-table. Like, <laughs> like, like it, it really is yeah. like how far it's they have fallen. It's a crisis. It's a major, major crisis and I have a lot of sympathy with the diehard Man United fans and the anti-Glazer protests and the real fans there. You know, even, even, on, even on, on Sunday they were getting stuffed 3-0 but they were still singing. You know, um, and that says, and I think that's probably what Ten Hag meant by it's great that we have the fans still supporting us. Now, there were a couple of bills as well, particularly when he brought Highland off. Well, I think you have to support your team no matter what. That's the whole idea. Yeah, it is, of course. But, um, but yeah, it's it's just so bleak and grim. But but the, but the sad thing about that, my overriding feeling, and when you were, it wasn't one bit surprising. That no. result on Sunday wasn't the slightest. I wasn't sitting there going, oh, I can't believe this. I didn't see this coming. Yeah, my brother texts me, he says, how are you feeling with the game? He says, I think we're going to lose 3 0. And we did. I'm just raising put money on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, like, if Radcliffe comes in, the first thing I would do, because the expectation is that he's going to spend money, I wouldn't be bringing any new players into the club. I'd be spending the first 300 million on getting rid of yeah. the players. Because they, yeah. the problem, what the major issue at United is they can't get rid of the players mm. because they're on such high wages that they just can't afford to, nobody wants to buy them. Nobody can afford their wages and they're on contracts. So they're, they're happy enough to be there. So mm. I would get. 400 million on the table, get Harry Maguire out of the club, get the rest of the players, get Jadon Sancho out of the club, pay off their contracts, and get them out, clear them out completely, get your wage bill down, and, and start, start from scratch. There, right. Rather than trying to build with what you have already yeah. and add and yeah. add and add. I agree. If anyone's listening, Enda has the solution Manchester United. Give no, the man that, a shout. It's very logical. No, no, it, it makes a lot of sense, Enda. It yeah. really does. And I think we're just sick. As Manchester United fans, we're sick. We get a false little bit of hope. We go in a good room. We go, oh, oh, maybe. Oh, oh, here we go. And then it all just, like a house of cards, it just falls apart again with one issue after the I was watching that um, documentary on Netflix. You we were talking about, you know, uh, players and checking out their personalities before they sign and Ferguson was very thorough he would visit the parents and go to the family and see what they work at I was watching that Aaron Hernandez uh, documentary you know the, the, the Patriots who was done for a double ho- uh, treble homicide um, but the, the, the New England Patriots is this you know revered organisation in American football and Bill Belichick's the best and he was said they did due to due due diligence on the player checked his background out but obviously didn't check it thorough enough like you know so I wonder sometimes do player uh, do clubs actually or organisations turn a blind eye sometimes when they see there could be a potential red flag coming down the line and just hope that the player that's coming in is going to make the difference and your man Hernandez certainly did but. well the, the, the Anthony one he ha- he's the same he's been like that he hasn't just become that person kicking fellas and all and it, this isn't the first time mm. what he done on Sunday that's not the first time I've seen that at Man United that's the whole time with him yeah. so he had to have been like that with Ajax Ten Hag had to have known that and to be willing to pay out the money that's just on. The, that's just a reason that I wouldn't get him in in the first place because of for the, the, the reasons in terms of his character. Then you transfer to his football. He's not hundred million. Like he's not. Like it's unbelievable. Like when they think when I look at him and the first day I saw him, I'm saying to myself, he does the same thing every time. Well, on the hang on the first day you saw him, he scored against Arsenal. He had a great game on his debut. Now Steve that's Bruce. I listened to Steve Bruce recently in a podcast and talking about due diligence. 
and he spoke about the time Ferguson gave him the captain's armband and Bruce was like obviously stalwart player run through the brick walls all the everything attitude character all the things you would want and uh, next thing he gets a phone call and it's the manager and of course anytime the manager rings you'd be a bit oh, what's he ringing me for like and he says um hi steve are you, are you home he says yeah yeah he says uh i'm gonna call around to see you and straight away bruce comes off the phone and he says like the boss is coming what, what, what did i do did i do something wrong he wants to come around to the house so she's running around getting cake and tea ready and all this kind of Doing thing. The Hoover yeah, the exactly. So next thing he walks in anyway and he says, um, walks, opens the door, hiya boss. He says, ah, how you doing, Steve? And he starts looking around the house. Goes in, sits down anyway. And um, how are you, Steve? Yeah, starts chatting to the wife. Hello. I think, well, I'm not, I can't remember what, what her name was, but hi, Mrs. Bruce or whatever. So chatting away anyway. And he says, just chit chat about total gibberish. He says, total gibberish. And he says, I'm still sitting there on edge thinking, what's, what, what's, what's coming here? Like, you know, and Ferguson gets, he says, okay, brilliant, Steve. Good to see you, lovely. He says, oh, by the way, he says, um, how do you feel about being the captain of Man United? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, boss. It would be an absolute privilege, an absolute honour. He says, I, it'd be amazing. I'd love it. Perfect. I just needed to know that. Got up and walked out. And he said, did the two of them, he says, nearly fell off the chair looking at the wife. And he says, he was adamant after that, that he was just, came round, to look, to see where we were living, the kind of environment, what the house was like, the wife, the whole lot. And he says, just just making sure, yeah, no problem. Wow. Because he says, why didn't he just say it to me on the phone? Why didn't he pull me into the office and say, oh, you're going to be the captain? I wonder, do you know I have a little theory uh, about uh, people who are doing very well with themselves and not very well with themselves. If your sofa is pushed up against the wall, you're a very down-to-earth type of person. If your sofa is away from the wall, it's in the middle of the room, you're a little bit pretentious, you've got notions about yourself. I wonder, did he walk in and say, look at his sofa, it's against the wall. <laughs> Steve Bruce is going to be my captain. <laughs> yeah, well, he Sorry, was have... useless, but anyway. Well, I just, like that, on that, the due diligence, and like, he, there's some brilliant stories he had, even he told one about the cup final, um, when they were getting ready to play Chelsea. And like, for, I love Ferguson, you know this, but what they're getting ready to play Chelsea, and he says they're preparing this was the 4-0 game yeah. cup final a few years back and he says um, all week they're preparing on how they're going to play against Chelsea and he says we get the first goal we'll win 4-5 or five. and he's kind of the boys are kind of like because Chelsea had beaten them twice that season so and it was like yeah. Glenn Hoddle Zola yeah. Viali, all that Chelsea team I think it was Mark Hughes I think was he he could have been yeah no he was there yeah, yeah. so or he but was he with United then but anyway it was around that time uh, so it was the 4-0 game so, but all week we get the first goal, tell you lads, we get the first goal, four or five. Tell you now, 100%. And they're all kind of like, four or five, it's a cup final, left cup final, four or five, you mad. So he says, I'm telling you now, he says, four or five. So later in the week anyway, he pulled him and he says, boss, he says, this four or five thing, he says, like, where is it coming from? He says, the cup, it's the cup final. He says, I'm telling you now, he says, you get the first goal, we'll win four or five. But he says, what, what makes you say that? He says, Dave Glenn Hoddle, right? On the bench. Player manager. Yeah. He says, we get the first goal. He says, Glenn Hoddle will want to come on and change everything. And he says, he doesn't have the legs anymore and he's not able to run. He's not the Glenn Hoddle of five, ten years ago. He says, he'll try and change everything and we'll run through the middle and we'll score three or four after we get the first goal as they're pushing up. And next thing, bang, bang, bang. And it shows a clip as he's telling the story. Hoddle taking off the top, coming <laughs> on after 65 minutes and then bang, bang, bang. Destroyed. Yeah, yeah. And Bruce went to his thinking, is, is that just a freak of genius? Or, yeah. And he just said he was just amazing. Just him. shows you what Ferguson was all about. Um, do we I went off on a total tangent there. Sorry. No, no, at all. I think it's uh, it's it's kind of it's nice and nostalgic for United to listen to things like that. You know, United fans. But it's just it's just it's. Here's one for you, right? And I often thought about this 
Because how many managers have been there since he left? Is it six now? Moyes, Van Gaal, Mourinho. Rangnick. Is that Ten it? Hag. Ten Hag. It's a five. That's six. Five or six. Oh, Solskjaer. Six. It's yeah. Only six. And after Moyes left, and was it Van Gaal came in then? Van Gaal after. Yeah. And I was yeah. I used to I used to be sitting at home saying this to myself, bring back Ferguson. Bring him back. And I I often think like if they had to bring him back after Moyes and just maybe stabilize it. Yeah. Would they be in the mess they're in now? I don't know. I don't know. I think Or was he done done? I think he was done because he knew it was done. And he was getting the best out of even the bad I, kind of... I, he, I think he was supposed to retire yeah. the year before he retired. And his yeah. wife talked him out of it. He was, he was pipped to the league. And he couldn't leave on that. So yeah. he decided, right, I'm going to take... And if you look at that squad that won the oh, league, yeah. useless. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. useless. They were saying but it was they probably his greatest achievement yeah. that he won it with that league. Yeah. He brought and, goals out and, of retirement. And, and, yeah, and I know he wanted to finish on that. He finished on that and he knew it was done. He wasn't getting any further with that squad, and he knew the squad was continuously getting worse and worse. Mm. And I think he saved his own skin, which is fine. I'm 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 okay with that. Yeah. But uh, I think, yeah, I don't know if he would have came back anyway. Yeah, it's 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 just an utterly depressing time to Sorry. be a Manchester United fan. If you look at some of the other Premier League results over the weekend, uh, lads, the uh, I suppose the, the 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 league leaders are now Tottenham won again away to Palace. Uh, your pal Madison still still banging in goals and being the still doing his the thing. Creative force you. that he is, um, and it was a good win. Yeah, the um, it got a bit hairy near the end, obviously with the late goal. But I don't think they were ever in any trouble or bother. Like sometimes that can happen when the late, especially away from home, Selhurst Park kind of lifts, and it's a, it's a good atmosphere as we know. And there was a bit of harem scaring towards the end, but I always thought they were fairly comfortably yeah. fair. Second goal was unbelievable. Yeah, and they're just. They're just playing so well, and 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 what I loved again after the match, that togetherness, that unity they're over in front of the fans and all, and 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 people can sometimes mistake that for oh they're getting carried away. <laughs> I don't think that's the case at all. I think it shows. Like even Madison, who had gone off, he's running on, and he's like there's a real bond with him, Romero, and and Son, who obviously are the three kind of. I think Pastor Cogley spoke with spine that, the team, a little bit it? of a leadership yeah. team they had to have, but they are the real kind of. And again, talking about standing up. They're standing up like they even Son's interview after the match, like listening to him talk about Pasta Coglu and and um since he's come in and, and the, the difference he's made. And even caught Pasta Coglu, and he came out and spoke and, and he was still so down to earth with Neville joking yeah. with I'm, I'm just copying Pep, mate. Yeah. And it was brilliant. Like he, just, he, he made a great comment as well. He was talking about everyone wants to make their own home stadium a fortress. He says, ours has turned into a nightclub. Yeah. And I'm actually very happy with that because all the sports fans <laughs> dancing and all the players. Yeah. And it's that, it, it's it's almost that diffu- diffusion of like the hype is going through the roof and he just brings yeah. it back down with a, with a little kind of one liner mm. that, that makes people laugh and straight away diffuses the situation of them not getting too carried away brilliant absolutely brilliant so just just as that's in my head and if if Ange Postacoglu was to leave sports today and take over at Manchester United tomorrow would you see would you think because of what, what the club is about as a whole do you think he would still make a difference I think he would change it I, I said I said when he was in charge of Celtic he should be the next United manager well the um, evidence proves he's changed Everything. Celtic when he took over Celtic they had just lost the 10 in a row season to Rangers the club was bloated the player they lost uh, their best players to the Premier League Ryan Christie left Chris Fryer left at Brentford they had a bloated squad Scott Brown retired so they had three key leaders left the team the squad was terrible the mood was awful he came in 
he signed 14 players in his first transfer window for a, a less than 20 million. People and were laughing at the sign. Yeah, and it was a joke. He was a joke. The club was a joke. He had to, it took him two extra months to get the job because he had to apply for his UEFA Pro license. And then within a year, he won the league. Within yeah. two years, he won, he won the treble. I suppose you know, what I'm, so. why I'm asking that question is, and is because of the environment that is there at Manchester United and the club as a whole. But you still think, though, even he would just change the culture. He would he would get rid of players and bring his own players. I in think he would. Uh, he for, he, the, the, fir, the, the first the first thing he would do would get rid of some of those players. Yeah, absolutely. First thing he would do. And another another thing that people are are not speaking about with Pasta Coglu and this Spurs team. And he mentioned it himself and referenced it in that interview the other night. And to go back to your point, if he was to take over at Man United, because I looked at them again on Sunday and fitness-wise, they're way off. He spoke about the tough preseason, ran them into the ground, the Spurs players, and he says, we're first everywhere in recoveries, in pressing and running, all these stats that they have now in terms of what they're doing. So people are just focusing on the lovely football and the goals, which is obviously what your eye gets drawn to those nice things. But in terms of behind the scenes, because even Sun came out, he says, they asked him about your, your little relationship you've built up with Madison. And Sun didn't reference the brilliance of him as a player. He just said, yeah, Madison, brilliant player. He said, look at him off the ball, what he's doing the work and the running and no one in a million years would have associated Madison they'd all well, look at him that's, that's a as a luxury point. and yeah. a fair, fair weather player and this kind of phrase that and you, you think that's down to Ange he said himself he says we run. ran them into the ground yeah. in pre-season and he says that's what he built it on because you can't sustain that type of game unless you're fit as a fiddle and they're pressing pressing all over the intensity that they play with the high energy all that stuff even when they go 1-0 up it's not sit back they're going for more and more and he spoke about that so I look at United as well and they're way off fitness wise Way off. Mm. That's that's just like staggering, really, isn't it? Like you know, you, you, you like there's all these stats and data and running and all that. And I thought United had kind of solved that last season. I think you know, you know, we hit the famous Brentford game and then Ten Hag bringing them on the twelve mile run and whatever it was because Brentford ran that amount of more. Um, and I thought all that was fixed. I thought the stats had improved. The running stats had improved. Mm. I don't know what the running stats are this year. They must be down. They must be down. They have to be down. But um, it just seems to me that. Like you look at even the likes to say if you look at a position Rashford and you know like technically he's very good and all that kind of stuff he's a, he's a bit of a match winner but you compare him to a Kulusevski with Spurs mm. Kulusevski ne- never stops never ever stops so that pressing is starting from the front with him and Madison and Son he said he put Ma- he the reason he put Son through the middle was because of his pressing People think he puts Son through the middle because he's a brilliant player and he's going to score me loads of goals. He's putting them in there. Work right. Exactly. And then the goals will follow and everything else. And when they're winning the ball higher up the pitch and then you're, he's in positions where he's going to receive it to score the goals because he's so good. But his actual work ethic and his energy. Uh, and uh, uh, we're going to move away from sports because I'll be talking all day about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I won't you talk with you. Um, the uh, I suppose from an Irish point of view, it was great to see Evan Ferguson getting back on the on the score sheet there at the weekend. Yeah, it was some finish too, wasn't Brilliant. it? Oh, it's just, just one one touch out of his body and bang into the goal. Pass, it's, pass into them. Nice to see an Irish player do that. The finish. Yeah. He's um, he's uh, what was it? He's what what is it? He's got like so for, he's the highest scoring teenager in a calendar year. He's equaled Wayne Rooney's uh, record of ten. Yeah. So in the Premier League, in, in the Premier League. No, sorry, so Rooney got eleven. Rooney got. So he's at ten. No, Rooney got ten. Oh, did he? All or right. did Rooney get eleven? No, he he, he equalised uh, Rooney's record, so which was ten. So he needs to get one more now to before break. the end of the calendar well, year. Exactly. Yeah, before the end of the calendar year to be the highest scoring teenager in a calendar year. And I know calendar year is sort of a nonsense stat, 
But it still goes to show, like, I mean... Well, the company's keeping when you exactly. just throw Rooney's name into it. Yeah. Like. But this is it, isn't it? Like, I mean, and it, it's usually exciting. And, you know, like, he's, he's a player of... You know, like, we, we, a lot of people forget, he's so young, he's still a kid. But, and he's inevitably going to have little dips. He's not going to be able to produce that every single well, week. Well, si- since the hype of the hat-trick, he hasn't really played. Yeah. Bits and bobs. That might be a good thing as well, because the hype went into overdrive. And, and as much as you want to get excited as UCC 18, let the lad just live and, yeah. and enjoy himself and, and do his thing without putting too much pressure on him. What I loved about the goal on Sunday was the movement just to kind of, as the, as the play, the midfielder has that I wasn't sure who played the pass into him, but he's just kind of dropping into a position to receive it. But as Enda said, it's his first touch and then just an almost nonchalance just to pass it with his left into the corner. It was a brilliant, brilliant goal. That's probably one of the best finishes I've seen of him there's been a few different ones since he's come into the team and one of those hat-trick ones was a shot on his left foot but it took a deflection mm. but that one was just I love that kind of finish where he just passed it into ah, the corner it was beautiful it was beautiful to see and, uh, and, and a lovely sight to behold for all Irish fans out there keep it going Evan um, Aston Villa expectedly won beat Luton 3-1 but the, the, the Emery train rolls on they're, 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 like we mentioned keeping ground, making home grounds as a fortress and Villa Park truly is probably the most impressive fortress in the Premier League right now. They're absolutely flying Aston Villa. Again, Emery, good manager, brilliant manager, uh, doing a phenomenal job. And again, it's the the energy and the work rate and the, the, the drive and all that kind of stuff, all those phrases you hear. But the quality then that they have, the Abbey, brilliant signing, got two goals at the weekend, he's been brilliant. And they play a strange enough formation in the sense that it's so fashionable, like, the way Guardiola changed, everyone was going 4-3-3 or whatever. But they nearly play a 4-4-2 now with the Abbey dropping off Watkins and the two central midfielders are playing kind of, in. McGinn plays in off the right and it was Zaniola who played the last game I watched against West Ham in off the left and it's creating overloads everywhere in that central area. Um, so yeah, he's done a phenomenal job, Emery, so he has. And he was. it was very interesting to listen to what Ollie, Ollie Watkins said after not the game at the weekend but the one before where he scored um, how and funny Dean Smith and it was real telling because Dean Smith signed Watkins for a villa and loves Ollie Watkins and, the very, and to the point where Watkins come out and he still alright Gaffer still calls him Gaffer like so they have that relationship and, and I thought it was a bit like alright you're giving him kind of praise on one hand and taking it away on the other because he spoke about the difference of what Emery has made right. and Watkins was known for again his selfless running chasing balls into channels running into dead ends almost as a good honest team player and all that kind of stuff Emery has more or less said let all them do that stuff and you just stay in the w- between the width of the 18 air box or the goals and let everybody else look after the build up play and creating opportunities for you and you get yourself into those areas where we're going to create the chance and score goals for you and he put pinpoints that as being the difference as to why now he's been more kind of clinical in terms of the goal scoring return that, yeah. that he has uh, I mean as a, as a Man United fan we, we've always aspired to be like Man City and now we're like aspiring to be like Aston Villa Mad. you know it's 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 how the mighty have fallen um, I suppose one more uh, look back at the Premier League over the weekend Chelsea uh, the false dawn <laughs> seems to be in a false dawn uh, beaten 2-0 at home by Brentford and uh, um, was it just a, another freakish result or just another you know a, a, another indictment of the problems that are at Chelsea no Chelsea were useless they really were, yeah, they in were, the first half they, they were useless like I, they, were, they, they were battered Brentford an in the first incredibly half. tough run coming up which ultimately I actually might be Chelsea's best run which is against teams that are going to press them because they just can't they can't break down teams that sit deep 
And Brentford are the best team in the league at sitting. And I went in the first half to back. create a chance after chance. They missed some even. And I know you're a good man for stats and expected goals. They should have scored in the first half, and that's not down to the manager. They're creating chances, but they're Jackson missing sitters and moving. Sterling and yeah, but it comes it comes down to the, it comes down to the players that they have. Like we're talking about United signings. Like Chelsea needed a, a striker. They needed someone who's going to finish goals, and they ended up with fifteen different wingers. Well, in, and, in Cuckoo's injured, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah that's well, Cuckoo's exactly quite similar to the rest of them, though. He's, and he's a strong he's a, he's runner. He's an upgrade he's a, to Jackson. He's a better finisher, but yeah. he, again, his strengths aren't in finishing. His strengths are in pressing and running and and dribbling, whereas they just need a Haaland. They need a freak who's going to score chance after chance, whereas they just don't have that. Well, Palmer's been a really good Palmer's side. Palmer's been good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like Chelsea will be fine. They should have won it. Well, they should have won it. I, I only seen the first half, to be fair, but... I think he will get like I'd be more confident there now with Pochettino getting it right than Ten Hag oh yeah no no same right lads that's the, the, the Premier League uh, stuffed in the bin where they like it to be stuffed and uh, <laughs> we're going to move on to the uh, the League of Ireland and you know massive congratulations to Shamrock Rovers winning four in a row um, I think we all thought it was got, it was inevitable uh, they, they they beat Pats at Inchicor on Friday night to confirm four in a row um, Stephen Bradley wants to go on and do five in a row six in a row uh, there's a little bit of talk whether Bradley will still be at the club next season. The Lincoln City job is, is available again. Um, he's had, you know, he's he's been quite public in his frustrations of players not being offered contracts. Uh, now the con- he says now the contracts have been offered, but he thinks it's probably too late because they usually do their business with the contracts way back in the summer. And he was talking, he mentioned Gaffney, for instance. He says, Rory's the best striker in, in Ireland. He says, but he has three or four offers out there at the moment. And you know, Derry. I mentioned Galway. I mentioned his hometown club. Um, your opinion on what Bradley's done at Rovers and uh, and and the situation behind the scenes there? Um, a brilliant achievement, unbelievable achievement. To be fair to him, and he has to be given massive credit for that. Um, four in a row. Like obviously, the last time it was done, and we've heard about it for years and years and years. But it was a combination of two managers, so he's the first to do it on his own, back to back like that, which is an incredible achievement. And yeah, he deserves massive credit for that. If you flip that over then to maybe where to rank amongst the great teams in, in the League of Ireland era over the over a period of time or whatever, Dundalk, Michael O'Neill's Rovers, the four row team, Shelburne, all those different teams that have had great teams over the over the time. The Bows double team in two thousand and eight. Absolutely, absolutely. The European stuff will always kind of drag them down as being one of those greats, because I still think Dundalk, what they achieved was incredible whilst they were winning leagues, to go and do what they did in Europe. Um, but if he was to stay on, and I know there's a question mark over that, obviously that's something, I think, an area where they will definitely... But we said that last year, we were saying Europe is an area that they need to target, and, and it didn't happen for them this year. So I think that is definitely something that will always kind of go against them in terms of maybe uh, being seen as one of those great teams forever. But in terms of the league, winning the four in a row is phenomenal. There is a power struggle going on at the moment, obviously at the club. And I think the reason as to why the contracts has been left so late is because the failure in Europe, the budget now is obviously seen as we need to rein it in a little bit because they obviously expected to get further in Europe, the budget being the same. And once that happens, obviously the money men at the club and have to balance the books in some way. So I don't think he can have the budget that he's had. And I think that's where the struggle is going on at the moment because obviously Stephen wants to keep the likes of all those players and and maybe the same contracts, whatever it is, whereas the club are saying, well, we need to rein it in a little bit area. So I think that's where the power struggle is going on at the moment, Eric. I think he probably will stay on in the end um, and he'd still have a big budget, a big enough budget to go on and win five in a row. 
whether the likes of those players I can't see a Gaffney leaving to go somewhere else why would you leave I think he's what is he 35, 36 or something like that but he still looks like he's as fit is as he ever 25, I think I think he's, he's, he's quite old is he yeah um, 52 actually <laughs> <laughs> Not funny, but, but I think if you're at if you're at Shamrock Rovers who are the best team at the moment and the best club why would you leave you know um, he will get offered a contract he has been one so I'm sure he'll stay amongst everyone else that might I think the talk around maybe Jack might go uh, a couple of others so it will be interesting to see then you, you flip it over to where the challenge is going to come from I suppose and to be fair Erica, I'm just going to go through a couple of numbers here for you which if you look at Shamrock Rovers last year they finished on 79 points okay the teams behind them were 66 Pats and Derry finished on 66 so they had to make up a 13 point deficit right Shamrock Rovers are going to finish now on 72 if they win Friday night so they've come back 7 points from where they were last year now people are going on about oh it hasn't been a vintage year for Shamrock Rovers and it hasn't really but bar the bad start if you look at their points tally after those first 6 or 7 games it's as good as what it was last year yeah. and, and probably previous years so, so they've been really good after that wobble of a start then you look at the games they played against their challengers. They've taken 10 points out of 12 against Pats, 10 points out of 12 against Bowes, and 7 out of 9. They lost to Derry in the first game and they've taken 7 out of 9 since. So all those teams that are seen as their challengers, when it comes to those big games, they show up, Shamrock Rovers. Yeah. They show up. And that's the difference. That is the difference. And that's what's won them the league when it comes to those big games. Then if you go into Derry, and, this, and I am... I've been so consistent about this throughout the whole season. This isn't something new. I've said this months and months and months ago and, and I'm adamant about it. Derry City, right? You mentioned even earlier about the, the fortress being your home ground about Spurs. Derry City was always the hardest place in Ireland to go to Brandywell, even back when I was playing. The, the artificial pitch. Last year, right? How many games do you think Derry won at home out of 18 games at home? Uh, I'll hazard a guess and say 9, 10. 8. Wow. Out of 18. Okay. So if you're looking to win a league, you're not going to win a league with only eight home wins out of 18 matches. Their away form last year was the best in the country. They picked up 35 points away from home. So their proof is in the pudding there. They prefer grass. Go This year, <laughs> how many games do you think they won out of 17 at home? 10. 8. Again. Same again. Right. Their away form, they've picked up 31 points on grass. So they are some of the reasons. Their home form, Shamrock Rovers have picked up 12 wins out of 18. Derry have picked up 8 out of 17. The points difference in wins, how much they've accumulated Shamrock Rovers compares to what Derry have in their home matches is nine points better for Shamrock Rovers. And what's the difference going to be on Friday night after the league is over? Nine, nine points. points. The uh, I suppose another talking point that came from the, I suppose it was a dead rubber yesterday, really, the Bowes yeah. Court game. Um, sorry, the Rovers Court game. Jesus. Um, the, the, the aftermath and Stephen Bradley coming out and saying uh, he was the Cork showed him a lot of disrespect by not uh, doing the guard of honour uh, and your thoughts on that? I think it's a load of nonsense really isn't it? Like the guard of honour for me and this isn't because it's, it's Rovers it's, it, if this was Bose or Derry or whoever it is and they came out and they said they felt they were disrespected by not getting a guard of honour I think it's disrespectful to expect a guard of honour. You've won the league, Cork are bottom, like are, are just just about surviving in 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 the league, and you're coming down to their home patch on a wet, miserable Monday. Nobody wants to be there, and you're wondering I wanted to be why, there. Why, <laughs> why why are you not standing in a line to clap us onto the pitch? Grow up, yeah. like you've won the league. You're league title winners. You're four in a row winners. You're putting out a side of young players. That should it should be a celebration night and to come out and I I thought he was quite very harsh to call and an, another manager weak 
in terms of his leadership because of it. And like I, I just thought it was bizarre. It was a bizarre thing to make of the night that you were clinching the title for Stephen Bradley. Holland, the the the, the Cork City manager's argument was that um, he, you know, he's trying to create a siege mentality there at uh, at Cork. You know, they're they're, they're facing a relegation playoff, and if, we all know Torrance Cross. And when the players come out, is is in front of where the Cork uh, ultras, the shed, end, yeah. the shed end are, and he didn't want. A scene, I suppose, created where you know where the the core players are standing, clapping the Rovers team onto the pitch right in front of their own fans. He just didn't want to create that, and I think uh, Holland, as a Cork City manager, has every right to do that. He has to be thinking of his team. He has to be selfish about his team. Now I know you said Al, ah, just showed them the respect. Okay, maybe, but he is in a really difficult position there at Cork, and he's trying to use every tiny little. Ad- Edged for his own advantage, you know, because they're going to be playing either Cove or Waterford in the playoff next week. So am I against the two of you on this one? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I just see I just see it as maybe a little bit dated. I, I mean, I think Andy, you said it's probably a tradition that's gone back to the fifties or something like that. Yeah, I mean, like I I have no problem with people doing it if they want to do it. If they want to do it, yeah, it, that's fine. But to call another manager a week because they didn't do it is just it, I just thought it was really bizarre from Bradley to make well that of the night. Okay, here's my take. I would be totally against what you're saying, Enda. And the reason being is I don't think he made that of the night. He was asked the question and he answered the question. So I don't think he's gone out to... to they had their celebration. They were down in front of the fans. He's in an interview and he's asked about it and he answered the question, honestly. And I thought it was a fair answer and he gave an honest answer. And I, rare enough, I would actually agree with Stephen here. And the reason being, if it's a thing, I don't even know if it's a thing or not, but it seems to be a thing. If it's a thing... Just do it. As a marker respect, they're the league champions, they're the league winners. I don't think, they're not looking for that as a reward. Their reward, as you say, was winning the league. So they're not looking for that as a reward. I just think the fact that it's a, if it's a thing, just whoever is the opposing team, just do it and clap them on. Nobody wants to do it, we all know that. But just as a marker respect for the league winners in town, just clap them on. To go back to your point then, Eric, about creating the siege mentality. If Cork City get relegated next year or next week in that playoff. That will have nothing to do with clapping Shamrock Rovers onto the pitch on Friday. <laughs> they have been so poor all season, on and off the pitch, not just on the pitch, some of the decision-making off the pitch as well. They have been so poor. And by the time that game comes around next Friday, nobody will have even remembered that game on the Monday night against Shamrock Rovers and whether we clapped them on or whether we clapped them off. So in my view, people now were talking about it as, as Enda saying, being the manager being weak or whatever. I wouldn't label those phrases at him, but nobody would have gave a monkeys by the time that playoff game comes around because it's so big, it's too big, the club have to stay in the league and if they, if they do their business right, they will stay in the league. But believe me, if they were to lose to Waterford or Cove, nobody for one second will think it was because the club Charmer Grover's onto the pitch. Yeah, but if they win, they will say. I've got to move on, move on, lads, because we like time is just running away from us. Uh, a new little, new little feature, Al. You're going to be delighted. Lovely. I love new, new little right. features. We have a new little feature called uh, Start, Bench, or Sell. Okay. okay. Can I just say uh, before we get into our new little feature? My little lad loves tic-tac-toe. So that all come from you. <laughs> you really, well, yeah. Harry's mad about it. Yeah, my, like I have to say, my, my, my son and all his mates are like, oh, that's a bleeding great game. Brilliant. I'd love to, yeah, I'd love and to he's play coming that, to like, me now know? saying, oh, how, we can add in something <laughs> international teams and stuff. And So we had a good bit of crack with it the other night. So, so when you. depending on how this goes, we might get tic-tac-toe back next week. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. No, no, I like new features, yeah. So anyway, so so the, the, the object is to start, bench and sell. It's a little discussion topic. We have about 10 minutes to do this, boys. Um, the three players mentioned... James Madison, 
Bruno Fernandes and Slobosly from, from Liverpool. Oh, good. All right. Good. So they're the three players. Uh, Enda, would you like to start off your uh, whatever it is you're going to do? Okay. Your pitch. This, so this is basically the idea around, you know, like uh, date, marry or dump or whatever, right? So um, <laughs> in, in this scenario, we're talking about a good team. So we're surrounded by good players, I think. Okay. I think that's fair to say. Like you're not picking these for, so a, you're, you're, you're not talk- putting either of these players into the United team and yeah. hoping. You're talking about Bruno when he plays uh, in Portugal. Yeah. You're talking about <laughs> so Bruno. You're saying these in, three are in the team. We have to. Yeah. So they're they're all in the same team. They're all in a good team as well. So who who are you going to get rid of? So I, I'll start with saying I'm going to start James Madison. I'm going to bench Soboslai. And I'm going to sell Bruno Fernandes. And that, that hurts me to say because I think Bruno is one of the best players in the league on his day. But James, is he? James Madison, for example, we were talking about, I mentioned earlier, Bruno Fernandes, like he's playing in a bad team. I'd like to see him playing in a good team. James Madison was playing for a relegated side last season. And he was second to the most amount of goals or assists in the league in terms of creativity, just behind Kevin De Bruyne in a team that got relegated. Good start. Um, and I'm glad. I've been blue in the face saying about Madison. <laughs> and he's, he, I think he's criminally underrated. I called him world-class a couple of weeks ago and somebody had a go at me online, but that's just online. I think he's a world-class player who starts because of his work rate, because of creativity, his set pieces. And then Sly, I'd keep him because he's just a very good-looking player. Yeah, in, yeah, in, in many different ways. Yeah. So that would be my choices. Great footballer and very devilishly handsome. Be like yourself, Al. Thanks, Al. Eric. The best looking player I ever played against. Have a guess. I'm going to say Tony Sheridan. No, you played with him. <laughs> uh, is it, was is he a League of Ireland player? No. Oh, English player. He was absolutely stunning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, when you he was like a film star. Yeah. I remember turning around one. Whoa! Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell us who was it? Patrick Berger. Oh yeah, yeah. Hair slick band, wow. hair band, six foot two, yeah. tanned. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> this fella's unreal. <laughs> I'm gonna wear a balaclava playing against him. The comparisons, but um, yeah, it's like, it's like sorry, judge got off track here when when when, uh, when Bo signed that Polish centre half Novak. The amount of attention that fella got, they were like, "Oh Did my he? god, he's so dreamy! Look at him!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> I go, "Yeah, but can he defend?" <laughs> um, uh, so, would you like to jump in now? Al? So, um, we disagreed on the guard of honor, and I'm all over you on this one. <laughs> this new feature, I'm all over it. Absolutely, I would go along with every single word. Madison, unbelievable player, and I and. All joking aside, I've loved him from day one, even when he was at Leicester. He was fantastic. He was so good, Madison. He's so good to watch. He's just brilliant. And I'm delighted to see him getting the recognition now because Andy used the word criminally under, under undervalued. Underrated. All right. And I would agree totally either. with that. He is. He's fantastic, Madison. So he's my main man in any team. Sebastian, I remember covering a game a few years back, a Champions League qualifier, and he was at Salzburg, the, the Leipzig yeah. link up, and it was Salzburg at the time. And again, we did a piece. I remember doing a little piece and a feature on him and thinking this fella is going to be an absolute star. And thankfully, he's gone on to, to have the career. And I think he's going to be a massive, massive player for Liverpool. And something that people, I'm not sure again, have noticed with him, technically, and and for all the reasons Enda said about how elegant he looks and all, he's fantastic. The running power is unbelievable. He's absolutely a machine in the midfield as well. So he's going to be a massive player. I think he's a brilliant signing. And yeah, I've never wanted or been mad about Bruno Fernandes. I've ne- I've just never taken to him. I've never liked him. His behaviour, the way he acts, his conduct on the pitch. I don't care if he scores another 20 goals this season. If he carries on like that every match, 
How there's not nothing likable about him. Yeah, the thing I would say as well about the two others, so James Madison and Sobislai, and then Bruno Fernandez. Bruno Fernandez needs a player beside him to accommodate him in midfield. You need a controller because Bruno can't control the game. You need a defensive midfielder because Bruno doesn't do anything defensively. Sobislai or Madison, you put them as a number eight, a traditional number eight box to box. They do a job controlling. Creative-wise, they can do a job that way. I wouldn't fancy my chances James Madison as a centre defensive midfielder, but maybe as a, in the Pirlo role, uh, in that sort of sense. And well, Soberstein is, is old-school box. The game against, um, the Monday night game against Fulham, and he was interviewed after the match, and he spoke about that, that because of the inverted wingers, or the inverted fullbacks coming in, Adogi and Parlo, and the position, because Fulham were just set up to stop them, and there was no space in that kind of little 10 area where he normally plays, and the two fullbacks who we've seen coming in as centre midfielders, they were almost coming into that area as number 10s. And it was so condensed with so many bodies. But he was dropping back into a position and taking it off the centre halves like a Pirlo mm. and playing those passes. So he is capable of doing that all day long. He's so good. And it was interesting when he, when Carragher and them were asking him, he says, the manager has no problem with me doing that whatsoever when the two boys go ahead. He says, once the spaces are filled that he wants filled, he doesn't care who's in the spaces. Okay, yeah. and um, it's so clear with their messaging like that comes back to the manager the clarity of messaging that he Postacoglu is all them so well drilled that I don't care lads where you are on the pitch once these areas are filled that I want filled okay so uh, my pick is um, I'd have starting Bruno Fernandes because <laughs> he's brilliant and uh, if you look at his, his, his stats over the last five years, uh, when it comes to goals and assists, he's, he's up there the very best in Europe in the top five leagues. That's just a stat. Obviously, he's going through a lot of poor form at the moment. Um, and I think I think the captaincy is weighing heavily on him. But thinking of him, I suppose I'm almost nostalgic as a Manchester United fan and the, the, the hardship that United have gone through over the last few years. When he came in, he, he created such an impact and he, he created that impact for a couple of seasons. He's been really, really good and our best man, our talisman, to be honest with you. I understand that it's not a good look aesthetically to see him throwing his arms up on the leg and all his histrionics and all that. I don't know enough about uh, Sobsley. Uh, I've seen him, the bits I've seen him, I've been hugely impressed and, and I agree with both of you. I think he's going to be a really big player for Liverpool in the years ahead. But because Madison has been probably, let's that's probably the top footballer in the Premier League this season. Yeah. Um, I'd have I'd have uh, Madison on the bench and all my Liverpool friends out there. I'm only putting Sabasloy. Uh, I'm only selling them because um, I, I reckon his his value will go up in future and we'll uh, we'll buy him back and he'll get loads of money out of it. Okay, so that's my get out there. So I'd have Bruno to start, Madison on the bench, and Sabasloy. I'd sell him. I think to be fair to you, Eric, as well, and I know we're making a bit of a laugh and a joke, but I know you love Bruno and you always have to be fair and you've always stuck up for him. And for those reasons that you say about his football and wise. And we shouldn't be disrespectful towards him for that either because he's a very good player, as we know. And maybe it's the situation and the frustration and all those things that's going on at Man United that's driving him up the walls at the moment. So I think you're, you're, you're being very fair on that one with him and you always have been. He just wouldn't be for me. But for the stuff that you've pointed out in terms of he did make a big impact when he came in, he did score big goals, he did carry them for, for a period of time. Um, and I think... It's only fair that you acknowledge that as well. So yeah, I think I just think he has enough credit in the bank to 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 uh, to be mentioned uh, a little bit more, I suppose, respectfully by myself and, and other Manchester United fans. Even though a lot of Manchester United fans that I know are hugely frustrated with him and want him dropped and it's everything. It's the behaviour; it yeah, kills him. Yeah, it's to carry on out of him. Um. So so lads, we have come to the end of our podcast again. It just flies along, doesn't it? Really, episode thirty two has just 
Is that 32? Yeah, episode 32. You've done about 46 of them, haven't you? I'm, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the Madison of House of Football. <laughs> it's the House of Carly, really, at this stage. <laughs> um, so that has been episode 32 of House Football with Sports Show. I've been Eric Lawler. Massive thanks to Alan Carly and Ender Call for joining us today. Uh, you know the story. If you're watching on YouTube, get involved in the conversation. Leave a comment below. And if you're listening on iTunes, leave us a review. And as I said, it's spelled F-A-N-T-A-S-T-I-C. Thank you very much. We'll see you all again next week. We're an FAI Cup final special. Woo! You've been listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe. <laughs>